My name is Shell Wagner. Welcome to Let's Talk Torah. So um, on our Wednesday edition, what we're doing is we're just looking at the um, Bessarah portion, what we can find uh, in the New Testament writings. And so just to review this week, our portion that um, Lee Hood will be going over in full along with my husband, Robert Wagner, um, is Dabar, which is words. Um, very interesting. It starts in Deuteronomy. It's going to be Deuteronomy 1 uh, through 3.22. So I, I believe it encompasses the first three chapters of Deuteronomy. We went over the half Torah portion. Lee Carruthers had joined me because we got so excited uh, seeing what we're seeing about the connection to the body. Um, just extremely exciting information. We went over the, I'm trying to think, the cardiovascular system. And we did that last Sunday. And um, tomorrow on uh, the heart of the tribe, she's going to join me and we're going to continue that discussion. We're going to talk about the body system that goes along with Yehuda. And we're going to talk about the tribe of Issachar and the body system that goes along with them. So I hope you'll come and join us for that. That's tomorrow at one o'clock. But for today, um, so just going over the portion, we the portion, of course, Deuteronomy 1 um, through 322. Um the Haftarah, which is Isaiah, Yeshayahu, uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 27. And then today we're in the Besserah, which is the uh, the scriptures found in what's called the New Testament. We're in the book of Marcus or Mark. We're going to be reading um, chapter 14, verses 1 through 16. So just let me bring that up on my computer and I'm going to share that with you guys. What did I say? 16. Okay. All right. Sorry, I didn't have that ready. There we go. All right. Let me add that in. Okay. So here we are. We're in, in Mark. And let me get over to my comments. Um, good morning, everybody. So after two days was the feast of Pesach and of Matzah, and the chief priest and the scribe sought how they might take him by craft and put him to death. But they said, oh, not on the feast day, lest there be an uproar of the people, right? <laughs> Always watch it out for, for the politics. Okay. So then what happens? And being in Bethany, in the house of Shimon, the jar maker. Now, this is also where um, Mar uh, Mary and Martha and Lazarus were, it is in Bethany also. And there is a time where it's very specific in the Gospels. You see this, this story repeated, but I think it could be a different story because there is a time when Mary, the sister of Lazarus and, and Martha, definitely anoint, anoints Yahusha right? And then there is also this account where he's at the home of Shimon, the jar maker. Um, and it just says there came a woman. And in different accounts, it talks about her being a sinful woman. Um, there's a few references that that even 
um, look like possibly this would have been Salome. Now, I, I, I find that very, very interesting. Um, who was Salome? Salome was the daughter of Herodias, who ended up asking for um, the head of Yochanan the baptizer to be brought to her on a platter after she danced for King Herod, and he promised to give her half of his kingdom. So she was a very wealthy woman, and we do know that she became a follower of Yahushua because it clearly has her name listed in the gospel accounts. So, I mean, that is certainly a possibility. All right, so looking at this, Yahushua is anointed at Bethany and being in Bethany in the house of Shimon, the jar maker, as he sat to eat, let me get rid of this. Okay. As he sat to eat, there came a woman having an alabaster box of ointment of spikenard, very precious. And she broke the box and poured it on his head. Now, did she literally break this alabaster box? Not unless she had an ax. So, so what would she have done? You know, it would have had a wax seal on the top of it to keep any uh, contaminants from getting in this precious um, ointment, right? This precious amount of, of anointing oil in this alabaster box or jar, you know, whatever it was. So it would have had a wax seal on the top. So she broke the wax seal, you know, so that the oil could be poured out. That's what happened, not breaking the alabaster itself. <laughs> Alrighty. So she having the alabaster box of ointment of spikenard, very precious, and she broke the box and poured it on his head. And there were some that had indignation within themselves and said, why was this waste of the ointment made? For it might have been sold for more than 300 pence and had been given to the poor and they murmured against her. Okay, so it, yesterday on our ladies show, I was talking about the seven um, deadly ruachos, right? The, the, the um, seven deadly sins and um, talking about greed and um, that you certainly see that here. You know, this is the same thing. There's a greed and envy. I, I just think with those evil rukas, like you entertain one and you end up opening self yourself up to many more, right? That's how it works. It's like this progression of, of entrance into evil. And so it, as it progresses, you know, look here, right here, they're just, you know, beginning to murmur. Well, envy is this type of spirit that says, someone else is getting what I deserved, right? Like there's not enough blessing to go around and I'm not willing to sit back and wait for Yah to pour his blessing out on my life. So I'm, you know, going to entertain this Ruach of envy and it leads to every other uh, evil Ruach that there is and opens you up to that. We've got to be really thankful for just exactly who Yah created us to be, knowing that he has made no mistake and how he has knit us together in our mother's womb, the giftings that he's given us, the position that he puts us in, you know, and I love there's a scripture and I don't know exactly where it is, but it talks about how your giftings are what will make room for you. 
You know, it will open doors for you. But if you are spending time wishing that you had someone else's giftings, then you're wasting the time that you could be spending developing the giftings that he's given you because he is no respecter of persons and what he will do for one, he will do for another, meaning he will fully help you develop the giftings that he graciously bestowed upon you from the moment that of conception as he was knitting you together in your mother's womb. He's got a good plan for your life, right? Okay, so I, I kind of got off there. But anyway, <laughs> I tend to do that. So there were some that had indignation within themselves and said, why was this waste of ointment made? For it might have been sold for more than 300 pence and have been given to the poor. And they murmured against her. Right. So they're saying she's she's being a wastrel. So so they had some knowledge of who she was. This is another reason that I'm thinking it could have been uh, Salome, because they all knew who Salome was. They all knew the riches that she had. They all knew her past. They all knew that she was the one who had asked for John's uh, head on a platter to give to her mom. So it's really hard to overcome that kind of a reputation and people that are already have something going on with them, but look righteous that look as if they are, you know, in right standing, you know, I've done all the check marks that, that, that uh, the Pharisees had said, you know, it, it, real easy to become very judgmental, but you can see from what number one, they're murmuring. Number two, they don't see the significance of what she's doing to anoint him before his burial, right? I mean, they're they are not bestowed with a spiritual sight in in the amount of the complaining that they are doing. They don't understand this at all, right? And so they're jealous. So Yahusha said, "Let her alone. Why trouble ye her? She has wrought a good work on me." I love it. Yahusha stood up for her, right? He understood. Yeah, that's right, Sherry. Yahusha knows the heart. He really does. Okay. So he stood up for her, right? She has wrought a good work on me. For you have the poor with you always. And whensoever you will, you may do them good. But me, you have not always. He was trying desperately to let them know that what was coming up, um, it, it was going to be very hard to deal with, that he was going to be crucified. They just didn't get it, you know, of what was getting ready to take place. And he was trying to help them get mentally and emotionally and spiritually prepared for what was getting ready to take place. You know, because he wanted the best for them and he wanted them to be able to handle it. He didn't want them to have to run away in fear. Now they did, you know, but he, the women didn't, but the men did. The women stayed there at the foot of the cross, but the men scattered, you know, they scattered during the trial and when he was arrested. And yeah, so, so really interesting. And Yahushua said, let her alone. Why trouble you here? She's wrought a good work on me for you have the poor with you always. And whensoever you will, you may do them good. But me, you have not always. She has done what she could. She has come aforehand to anoint my body to the bearing. He's, he's telling them right there, right? 
Alrighty. And then I say unto you, wheresoever this Bessera shall be preached throughout the whole world, this also that she has done shall be spoken of a memorial of her. And I, yeah, thank you, Sherry, for um, addressing this with Grandmaster that I, I don't, I, I'm not looking at, we're not trying to promote, um, promote any um, smoking of the herb. I, that's not my point at all. <laughs> okay. All right. So Judas is to betray. So Yehuda Iscariot, one of the 12, went unto the chief priest to betray him unto them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought how he might conveniently betray him. So you can see this is stirred up in in him to um, want because this jealousy, this ruach of jealousy, you know, it leads. It was he became offended when you look at the word offense in the Greek. And I'm, I'm sorry, I don't have that for you that I can show you on the screen, but look it up in the Strong's. Look up offense, offended. Right. Um, what happens with that? It is literally described as bait that's put inside of a trap. Okay. So that offense is something in the spirit realm that when we choose to pick it up, we have reached inside of something that's going to trap us. And the jaws of that thing are going to slap shut. That's what offense is. It's the bait in the middle of a spiritual trap that's designed to catch men, to catch their hearts, their minds, so that possibly they could be drug away, right? Okay. And at the beginning of the daylight hours, okay, so they were, you, you, Judah Iscariot's then plotting how he can betray him, right? And, and part of it was because of the money and they promised to give him money, okay? And so then he thought, well, how can I do this conveniently, right? And at the beginning of the daylight hours of the Pesach week, when they killed the Pesach, his Talmud had said to him, where will you that we should go to prepare that we may eat the Pesach? And he sent forth two of his Talmud and said unto them, go ye into the city and there you shall meet you a man bearing a pitcher of water. Follow him. You're going to meet somebody that has a container of water, of like living water, follow him. I just thought that was very interesting. And wheresoever he shall go in, say to the good man of the house, the rabbi says, where is the guest chamber where I shall eat the Pesach with my Talmudim? And he will show you a large upper room furnished and prepared. There make ready for us. And his Talmudim went forth and came into the city and found as he had said unto them, and they made ready the Pesach. Okay, so I think that this is very interesting. I It stops at 16, but look, there's so much prophetic significance just in this one thing right here, right? That, that they are sent to the upper room, right? The mansion that I have prepared for you in the spirit realm right? The, the thinking about what's already been done. Okay. Because look at evening, he came with the 12, right? So well, we can see this as a day begins at dark, right? And so the seventh day is beginning with darkness and what happens 
at the evening, Yahusha is going to bring us into that mansion that he has prepared. And we will drink of the vine with him again, as, as he told us. So there's a lot of prophetic significance in that. And I really like that. Okay, so let me see if I can drive this. So I really, when I was looking at this, I started studying um, what it was, it was parts of this oil, right? This anointing oil. I have this really cool book. It's called um, Healing Oils of the Bible by David Stewart. Um, it's very, very interesting here. I don't know if it's even still in print or not. I bought it over 20 years ago, so you'll have to Google it and see if it is still available anywhere, but it's well worth having. It really goes into the whole fallacy of the pharmacia and the sorcery of it and um, goes into detail about that. And like I said, I it was written, in, I believe, in the early 2000s, which is when I got it, when it first came out. And began to study it. And, and that was when y'all was really opening my eyes um, in the 90s, in the in the later 90s, mid 90s, later 90s, to the dangers of this medical system that is currently in place. Um, and because both my father died of cancer and then my mother had a, brow, a bout with breast cancer. And I started praying about everything and seeing everything that was being done. And y'all started speaking to me about, you know, to get away from that system and learn how to do other things, which is when I started using essential oils and different things. So in this, he's got a section specifically on um, what was happening with this anointing that was taking place. So he's talking about the different oils that may have been in this. So we're specifically told spikenard. Well, Myrrh would have also been there. And so I just wanted to read a little bit about myrrh out of his book. So it's entitled uh, Myrrh, the Most Popular Oil, the Desert Heat and the Hippopotamus Fat. Myrrh is like a servant to all the other oils. It is a fixative that increases the longevity of the aroma, any fragrance with which it is combined without dominating or overpowering that fragrance. Myrrh is one of those synergistic oils that enhances the qualities of any oil with which it is mixed. But myrrh is a wonderfully healing oil in its own right and one of the most versatile. It is antiseptic. It supports the immune system. It enhances the body's natural defenses. It helps you relax, helps manage stress and frustration, soothes the skin, is oxygenating to body tissues, is mood elevating, creates a sense of well-being and promotes overall health, vitality, and longevity. I mean, I can tell you it certainly will calm your body down. The other night, my I'd gone to the chiropractor and we're working on a certain nerve that's just gone awry in my body. And every time she works on it, it kind of, um, it excites that nerve and it takes it a while to calm back down. So that's what was happening. And I just started applying myrrh to myself along with a few other things, but I did the myrrh first so that the other things would stay. And it helped bring me to a piece of, a place of calm to help calm my body down so that I could get some rest and get some sleep. And so I thought that was just, it really does work that way for me. 
Now, some history on it. The Egyptians used myrrh for everything from birth to death and found it to be an effective protection from the desert heat as well as an insect repellent. I thought this was really, yeah, Sherry, I, I agree. It does. It helps in the mouth and, and with a lot of things with the gums and, and even any sores, things like that in the mouth. Absolutely. Let me add Sherry's comment in here so you guys can all see that there. Thank you. Um, so they used it for everything, um, and, and especially as an insect repellent. So Egypt does not receive rain in the, does not receive rain in the region of the lower Delta, but the Nile river distributaries create vast wetlands that were breeding gowns for grounds for all forms of mosquitoes and other biting insects. Well, gosh, I can tell you this is going on huge where I am at, you know, right now in North Carolina, the every summer when it, when we start getting the rains and the heat of summer, which is wonderful for the garden, but the mosquitoes just, I think they all work professionally for the Red Cross or something because they, you just can't even go outside without them just, you know, swarming you, right? Some of these bites could make you sick, especially if they've been like modified mosquitoes, right? Modified bugs, which is what this current elite system has done, has turned, uh, uh, infested many of our things with that CRISPR technology and turned them into GMO bugs that um, the sting is much worse than it used to be. So we want to be protected as much as possible, right? So some of these bites could make you sick. Sometimes the sicknesses would end in death. The Egyptians needed ways to protect themselves, not only from the discomfort of the bites and stings, but also from the illnesses that they could spread. Perhaps you've seen pictures of ancient Egyptians with cones on their heads. I've seen this and I didn't understand it till I read this. You may have mistaken these as knots of hair, but they are not. They were lumps of fat from ox, duck, goose, or hippopotamus saturated with myrrh. Sometimes for variety, they also used oils of marjoram, sweet flag, which I don't know what that one is, or lotus. The idea was to place the ungent cone on the top of their heads in the morning, and then as the heat rose during the day, the fat would melt slowly, running down their half-naked bodies, keeping their skin moist and repelling insects. Sounds pretty yucky to us today, but you have to remember that they had no showers, they had no screened-in porches, they had to do something, and so they used essential oils like myrrh. Okay, so there's a lot more... Um, in here. Well, I, I'll just go ahead and read it. I've got some time and I hope you guys are enjoying this because it is really some interesting in, information to me. Okay. So the many virtues of myrrh, according to the uh, essential oils def, desk reference, which I have right here, which is a great book because I, I like looking up all kinds of things on that. It's another one that I bought over 20 years ago. So I don't know if it's still available or not. All right. Um, the Arabian people use myrrh for many skin conditions, such as chapped and cracked skin and wrinkles. It has one of the highest levels of sesquiterpenes, like 62%, a class of compounds that has direct effects on the hypothalamus, the pituitary, and the amygdala, which is where the seat of our emotions is at. The um, essential oils desk reference lists the following indications for myrrh. 
bronchitis, diarrhea, dysentery, thrush, ulcers. This is what Sherry was talking about earlier, right? Uh, viral hepatitis and stretch marks. Great quantities of myrrh were used by the Romans in their unguents, perfumes, and medicines. Myrrh was also occasionally used in Roman cooking as a spice to encourage appetite. Because of its bitter taste, myrrh can stimulate bile production, which prepares the digestive tract for processing rich foods, of which the Romans and the Greeks were very fond, right? This is why Daniel, you know, when Daniel... Um, uh, Meshach, uh, Radchach, and Abednego, right, were, were um, sent there. They said, give us a different diet, right? Give us um, the fruits and the vegetables. Let us do that. And, and I promise you, we're going to be healthy than everybody else you see, right? The oleo resin of the myrrh tree was also chewed as a gum by the Hebrews and other ancient peoples of the Bible. Um, in this way, it helped to prevent infectious diseases of the mouth, teeth, and gums. Even today, myrrh is widely used in oral hygiene projects. Oh, thank you, Sherry. I, I really appreciate that. I and and I love uh, your interaction here. You know, um, it, it's really great interaction. I appreciate everybody on here and everything y'all bring. It's it's so much fun for me to just be able to meet with you guys this way. Um, okay, so now getting into this little part about the gift of the wise man. Okay, so when Yosef and Mary received the gift of myrrh from the kings of the Orient, that's, you can find that in Matthew chapter 2, 11, the wise men did not have to explain the use of the oil to Mary. She knew that the myrrh was antiseptic and should be placed on the navel of the newborn child so that there would be no infection with the slowing of the umbilical cord. Mary also knew it would come in handy later on in protecting her child from things like coughs, sore throats, thrush, ringworm, and gum infections. She knew myrrh would be a good thing to have to soothe and heal the little cuts and bruises that all little boys experience in their growing up. She knew these things because all of the women of her time knew about these things. The wise men didn't have to explain to Mary that myrrh could heal scar tissue and remove the stretch marks of pregnancy either. Mary would have known exactly what to do to rub her abdomen with the oil until the stretch marks disappeared. All of the women of her time would have known about that too. Mary would also have known that the scent of myrrh promotes spiritual awareness and is emotionally uplifting when rubbed on her body as a breastfeeding mother. It would communicate a sense of security and well-being to both her and her child. The Bible doesn't mention these things because they were common knowledge in that time and their inclusion in the nativity story was not necessary to convey the spiritual purpose of the narrative that Matthew had in mind. So I just thought that was really an, an interesting part. Again, that was from Healing Oils of the, of the Bible by David Stewart, a, a great a great book. Um, so just while we were here, because I know it had spike nard in it and because I've got the essential desk references in front of me, I'm going to turn to the part on spike nard and just read you guys uh, what that says, because I know you guys like learning about the different oils and stuff. 
Okay, so this is what this um, anointing oil that Yahusha was anointed with. So it's it talks about it first of all, you know what its botanical family is, the Valerianaceae. I can't hardly even say it. It's a steam. It's a an oil that is steam distilled from its root system. Okay, it the it comes from India, and you know, so was it prolific? Then yes, there was a huge trade going on. Plenty of trade has been going on with these oils and ointments for a long time in the world, right? Um, so it has key constituents uh, uh, constituents of calorine, beta ionine, beta maline, aristadiline. Um, here's its historical data. Highly regarded in India as a medicinal herb. It was one of the most precious oils in ancient times, used only by priests, kings, or high initiates. References in the New Testament describe how Mary of Bethany used a salve of spikenard to anoint the feet of Yahusha before the Last Supper, according to Dietrich Gumbel, PhD. It strengthens heart, that it strengthens the heart and improves our circulatory system. So, you know, if you watch the show that um, from last Sunday on Let's Talk Torah, this is exactly what Lee Carruthers and I were discussing. And so this spikenard oil also works in that way. We were discussing how the circulatory system itself within the body, out of the 12 body systems, that the circulatory system lines up to the tribe of Levi um, in detail. So, We've got so much more coming on that tomorrow. I can hardly wait. All right. So the medical properties, it is an antibacterial, antifungal, anti-inflammatory, a relaxant, and immune stimulant. It's used um, for insomnia, for um, menstrual problems, PMS, uh, heart arrhythmias, or nervous tension. Okay. And you can imagine, I mean, think about Yahusha. He was fully human, yet fully Elohim, right? So when he even went to pray, she anointed him with this before he had to go and pray. Um, Father, if it be possible, take this cup from me, right? To where he was sweating great drops of blood, which is a condition of the, uh, it's a physical reaction to what's going on in the emotions, Okay. It's a very interesting thing there. So the fragrance, the influence just of its, the fragrance itself helps to relax. It is soothing. It helps nourish and regenerate the skin also. Okay. So um, it is mentioned, here's some Bible references where it's mentioned. It's mentioned in Song of Solomon 112, Song of Solomon 4. 13 and, four, 13 and 14, and that's all that it really had to say on this. You know, in this reference book, of course, it got, it has how you can use all the different things, and, and there's lots of good reference. If you're really interested in digging into that, just go even peruse um, Nisa Moshe, Moshe's site, www.remnantremedy.com. Underneath each of her oils, she's cut loads of information. She has so many papers written on there. She's been writing about this and doing this since I met her 20 years ago, over 20 years ago. And, and she's been working on all that since then, 
you know, it's just amazing the amount of um, information that's on her website. So anyway, that was what I had to share with you guys today. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, may Yahweh bless you and keep you. May he lift up his countenance upon you and give you of his shalom. May you have a wonderful rest of your week. I'll be back with one at one o'clock today with Chris McIntyre, and he will be presenting part two of his introduction to the book of Hebrews. So I'm looking forward to that. And I hope you guys can join us then. Alrighty. So bye-bye for today.